I'm Todd Starnes, and I have the wonderful privilege to be the pastor of Odessa First Assembly. And we are grateful that you're joining us for this podcast. It is growing and it's exciting. So please take time to like, to follow, to share whatever social media platform you're joining us on. I'm excited about this series. We are looking at Passover to Pentecost. What happened in between the resurrection and the ascension? And then what happened on the day of Pentecost when the church was birthed? I pray that these messages will bless you, encourage you. So let's jump right in to this week's message. This is part seven of Passover to Pentecost. Next week, June 5th, is going to be exciting. We're having a guest worship team from uh, Christ Mission College. They are phenomenal. You're going to love it. It's going to be exciting. Uh, I'm going to be preaching on Pentecost and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We're going to have, and we're also going to celebrate baptisms next Sunday. So it's going to be a full Sunday, excited about it. And so we're going to close off Passover to Pentecost because it's Pentecost Sunday. So anyway, uh, but we're in part seven, Passover to Pentecost. And this morning, I want to talk to you about Christ's ascension, Christ's ascension. And so uh, Luke 24, Acts 1, and uh, 1 Timothy 3, but let's pray before we start. Father, we thank you for this morning. And this is the work of your presence, Lord. And I pray that our hearts be ready, be good soil to receive your word. And we're grateful for it, Lord. We know that uh, your word, it has, it's like a two-edged sword dividing uh, soul and spirit and bone and marrow. And it can do a deep work inside of us. I pray that we not just be hearers of your word, but we would be doers. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So something unique this morning, it's rare that I kind of go to three verses like this, but three texts, and one of them is uh, uh, Luke 24 and Acts 1 and Luke and, uh, 1 Timothy 3. So I want to begin in Luke 24. So just a reminder, while we're doing this, and we've ta been talking about the 40 days after the resurrection. So what happened, there was 40 days in between where Christ was risen from the grave to his ascension, and then we see 10 more days until the day of Pentecost. So 50 days from his resurrection to the day of Pentecost. And so we've been really focused on the what happened after the resurrection and those 40 days. And of course, this morning we're focusing on the ascension, that, that 40th day. Luke 24, beginning in verse 50, it says, And he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. This is the disciples. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, verse 53, and were continually in the temple blessing God. And so there they are. They see Jesus, that he was carried up into heaven. Now I want to begin in Acts chapter 1. And we're going to be also in Acts chapter 1 a little bit next week. But Acts chapter 1 and 1. It says, in the first book, O Theopolis, if you didn't know, the book of Luke in which we just read, Luke, Dr. Luke, is also the writer of Acts. And so some, you know, it's called Acts of the Apostles, um, and some do kind of refer to it as the second gospel of Luke, but Acts was written by Luke, and many believe that Theopolis, why this guy's significant, is because he... Um, 
he uh, underwrited financially the writing of the book of Acts because he, was, he wanted to know about these things. And so, in essence, paid Luke to you know, write about this, as what some historians believe. But in the first book, so that first book is talking about Luke, the book of Luke, Otheopolis. I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands to the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. Verse 3, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. That's what we've been talking about all this time, right? Verse 4, and while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Luke writes about this in Luke 24, 49, where he says to go and wait in the city, and you'll be clothed with power from on high. Luke 24, 49. Begin verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And you know, the thing was, the reason why so many in that first century when Jesus came, because they... There's so many believed that Jesus was going to deliver them from the Romans. They were under Roman rule, all the Jewish people, and that's what they were looking for. They were looking for Jesus, the Messiah, to deliver them from Roman rule. But Jesus came what? To seek and to save that which is lost. When you restore the kingdom, that's what they're talking about there. Verse 7, he said to them, it's not for you to know the times and seasons my father has fixed by his own authority. But you'll receive power and the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into the heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes, verse 11, and said to the mean men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, whom was taking up from you into heaven, this is all, we're going to look at this in a few moments, will come in the same way you saw him go into heaven. And so that's Luke writing two different accounts, and I wanted to provide you a third one with, by Paul. By Paul, the Apostle Paul, in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. It says, great Indeed, we confess it is a mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, this is talking about Jesus, right? Vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in this world, and taking up in the glory. And so here we see some uh, three different uh, places of Scripture where it's talking about the ascension of Jesus and Jesus being taken up. And as I wanted to use all of these as really kind of a point of consistency through Scripture, I, I you know, when I was younger, when I was growing up, we didn't take too many vacations. My parents worked a lot, and so we didn't do a whole lot vacation-wise. You know, we'd get away a weekend here and there. But I remember one time when I, I don't know, I think I was 12, 13 years old, we made a trip to Mississippi. That's where all of my, most of my dad's family lives, as in, as in Mississippi. And so we made this trek to Mississippi, and there was a family reunion, and and during that trip, we went down, we went to Arkansas, to Eureka Springs, to see the Passion Play. Has anybody ever heard of the, the Passion Play? And a few of you have. And so the Passion Play is really just the life of Christ put on 
you know, production. If you've been to the play Texas, I mean, that's what it is. It's a, the, the, uh, a theater presentation of the life of Christ. But I remember through all of that, and it's really neat. It's outdoors. It's an amphitheater. It's pretty cool. But that scene, they, they pull off the ascension. And I remember being that young teenager and it coming that moment in time and there's Jesus on the hill, the disciples, and man, they got lightning start going off and smoke going and they have these cables and they, you know, they suck Jesus up in the air and maybe when we remodel, we'll put like a cable system up here. And we could do something like, I could preach on the rapture and start sucking people out of the pew and that might get some people's attention. But I remember that, that moment, oh, there's Siri again. I remember that moment. It was just uh, so impactful. And I, I do want to keep it kind of simple this morning, but I feel like I want, to, I want to give you a pattern. I want to lay something out to you in Scripture that talks about the ascension. Because one of the things that I, I talked about, this biblical worldview, is you have to understand there are 94% of Christians that don't believe that the, that the ascension took place. And I, I want you to process that for a moment. And, and whatever 100 minus 37 is for pastors. But anyway, five crucial truths about, uh, this is crucial to our faith. These are biblical worldviews. This is, this is how we see scripture, the importance of it. And it's going to lead us to the ascension. I'm going to do it very quickly. But the first thing is this, that's important to us, is Old Testament prophecies. Old Testament prophecies are crucial when it comes to Jesus. There, some you know, scholars believe there were over 300 um, prophecies about Jesus in the Old Testament. I think like 340-ish. But, I mean, it's staggered. It's a, it's a mathematical impossibility to think that someone could fulfill all 300 plus of those prophecies. But those are important because, I mean, those prophecies happened hundreds and thousands of years before Jesus was ever born in that, in that manger in Bethlehem. And the second thing is this, is Jesus' fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies. His fulfillment of those, that Jesus fulfilled Old Testament prophecies. The, um, the, to process this just for a moment, I know I've shared this so many times through the years, but I feel like it's feeding fitting to, to say again, but if you were to take, of those 300 prophecies, if you were to, to take eight of them, of all 300 written in the Old Testament, if you were to take eight, just eight of them, it would just be one and a thousand, one, it'd be one, the, chance, the probability would be one and 1,017 for all eight of those to be fulfilled. I want you to think about that for a second. So what does that equate to? A very smart guy, I forget his name, but I, I, I just I remember what he wrote that if you were to visualize what that would look like, if you wanted to visualize of someone fulfilling eight prophecies would look like, it would be that you take silver dollars and lay them on the face of Texas and it would cover Texas by two feet. So the whole state, you, you cover Texas two feet of silver dollars. And then you tell a guy, you can go anywhere you want in the state, and you got to find the one silver dollar painted red. And then he goes right to that silver dollar and picks it. That's the chances of one man fulfilling eight of the 300 prophecies. Process that for a moment. But here's the deal, is that Jesus has fulfilled 
over 300. To put a number to that, it, I mean, it's, it's beyond my comprehension. The third thing is this, is that's crucial to us in our faith, is that Jesus' death on the cross. We celebrate, we talk about that leading into Easter, his death on the cross. I mean, Scripture tells us Christ died for sins once and for all. Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture. We see it all through Scripture, but that's crucial to who we are. Why? Because we believe all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, right? That's what Scripture tells us. But if we have sinned, we also know the gift of God is what? Eternal life. Those are important to us. We know that Jesus rose from the dead. So that's number four, Jesus' resurrection from the dead. If you look at 1 Corinthians 15, I think we'll have that for you on the screen. And I want to read it out of the New Living Translation. Out of the New Living Translation, it says this. But tell me this, since we preach that Christ rose from the dead, why are some of you saying there will be no resurrection from the dead? That, that sounds like it could be addressed to today. For if there is no resurrection from the dead, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, then all our preaching is useless and your faith is useless. And we apostles would all be lying about God. For we have said that God raised Christ from the grave... But that can't be true if there's no resurrection from the dead. And if there is no resurrection from the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless and you still are guilty of your sins. In that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are more to be pitied than anyone else in the world. Those are strong words written by Paul. And so let's just add this together for a moment. And let me say it this way. When you, it's not just about the prophecies of Jesus, but it's all the promises of God. What seals them for us is that Christ died and that he rose again. And that's an important combination. If he had just died and had not risen from the grave, then what do we have? Paul says we would be pitied among all of them. I mean, think about that. We'd be pitied among all of all the people. Feel sorry for us because we have believed something falsely. But because Jesus died on the cross, like all those Old Testament prophecies said that he would, and then he rose from the grave, it it adds. A, it's a tag team one-two punch, really, if you will, that add, that solidifies God's promise to us. But he doesn't stop there. The ascension of Jesus, which is number five, is just as important as his death and his resurrection. His ascension is also key to our foundation in faith. And there are so many reasons why. And uh, really a whole series could be done just about the, the importance of the ascension. I just try to pick out a couple of things and the first one is this, is that because Christ ascended, he makes intercession for us. Because Christ ascended, he makes intercession for us. I'm going to say it again. Because Christ ascended, he makes intercession for us. The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, consequently he's able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives, everybody say lives. He's alive today. He's alive right now. 
and he lives to make intercession for them. Intercession for who? From those who he saved from the uttermost. That's, that's you and me. And so here's what, I, here's what I want you to visualize this morning. You know, we have a, a, a terminology that we, you know, have you ever been talking about somebody, you know, about something, maybe a hobby or, a, you know, like I'd be saying, you know what I live for? I live for chips and salsa. Come on now. I'm, I'm just going to tell you white people something. You got to squeeze some lime on it and put a little salt. That's the way you eat chips and salsa, okay? I live for, I mean, we may, you know, I live, you know, we, we say that for, you know, I'm, I live, I mean, you know, when me and Angela, you know, she, from uh, October to February, she calls herself a hunter's widow, because um, I, I, I don't go as much as I used to anymore, but I would go absolutely every moment that I could go, and uh, I live for it, I was passionate about it, but Jesus always lives. To make intercession for you. His resurrection from the dead is critical, yes, to seal all those promises that he had given, that he's given. But think about it. So what does he live for now? What is Jesus' purpose now? To be at the right hand of the Father making intercession for you. Romans chapter 8, verse 33 and 34. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is, it, who, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is one who died. Listen, more than that was raised. Who is at the right hand of God. Who is indeed is interceding for us. Christ ascended to be at the right hand of the Father to intercede for you. And now maybe some of you are like, well, I, that's awesome, but I really don't understand what intercede is. Intercession is really not a term that we use that common. Matter of fact, to intercede in, in our culture tends to be more of a court and, and litigation type of terminology, but it is also a church word. Maybe you have heard the term Maybe you've heard some church people talk and them talk about intercessors or intercessory prayer. And um, uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, I got to tell it. A story, a story just popped in my head. Oh, I, I'll probably get in trouble for this later. But anyway, um, way years ago when we were we were at my father-in-law's church, Angel was the kids pastor. I was a youth pastor. And uh, that was in Lubbock. And we were going on a trip somewhere. And there was a group of us. And we were going to hear a guest speaker, actually down here in Odessa, uh, from a revival that was happening in Florida. And we had this guy with us. And he had just, I mean, like, th I mean, that week had just gotten saved. It was so, I mean, he was so zealous. It was so awesome. I mean, it, I mean he, was, he knew nothing about church terminology. And... Um, you know, it, like somebody who's really, you can be called, and it'll make it a sense in a moment when I really get into what intercessory is, but the, she, we had a lady with us who was an intercessor, and so, you know, she, and she used a lot of uh, churchy words, not that that's, you know, just for intercessors, whatever like that, but I remember she, I mean, she had been really interceding and praying about this meeting, and we get in the van, and she was, she was an older lady, and we, we get in the church van, and she's so excited, and she says, wow, I'm expecting and uh, 
So we get down the road a little ways, and I'm finding this guy, you know, he, you know, he, gets, he was just really puzzled. And he's like, hey, uh, PT, isn't she kind of old to be expecting? I was like, oh. I was like, no. I was like, she's been praying. She's an intercessor. She's been praying for something, and she's really thinking God's got to break. She's expecting God to do something. He's like, oh, okay. He's like, I get it now. And so what, intercede, what does intercede, to intercede mean? Intercede comes from two different Latin words. And, it, and it, in the Latin, when you look at it, it's between and go. The way we would say it, or makes more sense to us, is a go-between. Are you with me? A go-between. When I was in elementary school, I had a friend of mine who had a crush on another girl, and I was the go-between. He's like, hey, go ask Amber out for me. I'd say, hey, Amber, he wants to go out with you. Tell him no. Hey, she said no. Well, go ask her again. Oh, you know. I mean, the go-between. I mean, you guys are familiar with that. And so an intercessor is a go-between. So what Jesus intercedes, he's the go-between between us and the Father. He represents us to the Father. He represents our needs to the Father. And what I also want you to understand is part of that, him, a part of Jesus being that intercessor is that he has given us complete deliverance. Complete deliverance. Jesus is able to save the uttermost. I, that's, that's the ESV. I like the way that NLT, maybe I'll let, make a little more sense, but Hebrews 7.25 in the New Living says, once and forever to save those who have come to God through him, to save those, what that means is a complete salvation, body, soul, and mind. And so whether it comes to the salvation of someone's soul or someone praying and believing for a miracle, it is Jesus who is there at the right hand of the Father as the go-between interceding for us to the Father. And it's what he lives for. I mean, it's just not a job or a job description. He lives for it. That he wants to take your need and go to the Father and say, Father, I, I've been there. You see, the, also the difference between Jesus between the other priests that came before him is that Jesus is an eternal priest. He is forever. He is forever. He's not like the guys in the Old Testament that did the sacrifices that went to the holiest of holies. He is forever before the Father as that intercessor, that go-between, that says, here's what we promised them, Father. Let's do it. Are y'all with me? Okay. So, Jesus is the guarantee that our sins are forgiven and that every promise is true. I wish I had to put that in your notes. I don't think that I did. Jesus is the guarantee. He's the deposit. He's the security. He's the guarantee that everything that has been promised to us, he represents that to the Father. He has saved you completely. And this is something else. This is more specifically what it means when Jesus saves us completely is that no sin is too great for forgiveness. No sin is too great for this salvation. And I, listen, I, I know there, there's like unspeakable things that we can think about. Listen to me. All someone has to do is come to Jesus from the uttermost. 
and say, Jesus, I'm sorry. Forgive me of my sin. Cleanse me of my, forgive me for all. Now, there may be a debt to pay society. There may be repercussions. But listen, Jesus can save anybody from anything. And so the second one is this, is that it's eternally active intercession. Since he always, always lives to make, that's another blank there if you're following along in your notes, but eternally active intercession. He's always lives to make that intercession for them. As our high priest, he's our advocate, he's our mediator between us and God. And his purpose, that go-between, that intercessor, is for all of us, all of us who follow God. He looks out for our interests. He presents our requests to the Father. Just like the Old Testament priest represented God to the people, but Jesus represents us to God. And God and Christ makes perpetual, that's, I know that's a, a word we don't use very often, but perpetual intercession before God. What does it mean? He doesn't clock out at break time. He doesn't clock out for his lunch hour. It's something that happens 24-7, seven days a week, 365 days a year. For however your lifetime may be, Jesus is up there making intercession for you. It's eternal. Nothing can ever hinder it. Nothing can ever stop it. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Romans 8, 33 and 34. It is God who justifies. Who, can, who is it in him? Christ Jesus is the is the one who died more than that who was raised who's at the right hand of god who indeed is interceding i want to share another verse with you hebrews chapter 2 verses 17 and 18. therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect he was fully man he's fully god but when he was born in that manger he was 100 percent god and 100 percent flesh he was made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the presence of God to make appropriation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. And so that's what Jesus is doing. He's like, Dad... I went through a situation like that. I, I know exactly. I know exactly how they feel. I know exactly how Vicky feels right now, Father. I know exactly how Elena feels right now, Father. I walked those shoes. Does anybody hear me this morning? I know exactly where you are, Jimmy. I, I, I know where Jimmy is, Dad. I, Father, I... I was there. I was tempted in every way as they're being tempted. I went through every struggle that they're going through. I know. And he's there, and he can relate that to the Father. Powerful. I mean, think about it. I mean, I, you know, I was thinking, you know, we've been having car problems with uh, Shaylee's car. And I mean, what if I had, what if you had a, just for you, just, just for you, you had a, expert mechanic no matter what went wrong with your car you could a hundred percent trust them you knew they weren't going to try to say negative you or whatever you know what i mean i mean right you get you get the you know the the bill or the before the bill the quote and you're like are you sure? did you not mess that up do i really need all that 
I mean, the, the person you can trust. Or how about a, a personal chef? If I ever win the lottery, I'm hiring a personal chef. You can, you can take a guess when that's going to happen. Um, or an expert team of doctors when something goes wrong with your health. Or Jesus knows exactly. There's no expert like him. And he's there making intercession for you. The second thing is, is that he's preparing a place for us. He's preparing a place for us. We read in our text in Acts chapter 1, verse 11, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? I mean, I, you know, if, I mean, for real, right? If we were there and we saw a guy, whoop, you know, I mean, it, we'd be like, oh, wow. You know, I think we'd probably be a little bit of shock. Why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus whom was taking from you into heaven, look what it says, will come in the same way that you saw him go into heaven. John chapter 14, verses 1 through 3. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that I... If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. I know it's like it stretches the imagination. That's why it takes so much faith. But that as Jesus left, he's preparing a place for us. And he begins in verse 1, let your hearts not be troubled. I mean, he was, trying, he was telling the disciples, listen, there's not an easy road for you ahead. There's not easy life ahead of you. You know, listen to me, there's going to be trouble. There's going to be circumstances. There's going to be problems. But he says, let your hearts not be troubled. And what that does, that takes a complete trust in Jesus. And because he's at the right hand of the Father, and he has fulfilled everything that he said he is going to fulfill. I mean, we're still waiting for the rapture of the church, you know, and, and all the end time events. But listen to me. He's there making intercession. We can trust him at his word. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Believe what I've told you. I know what your eyes are seeing. I know what your heart is feeling. I know what your spirit is going through. But believe in the Father and believe in me. Let your hearts not be troubled. In my Father's house there are many rooms. And so listen, I, you know, I know we sing songs and we think about that. Yeah, I think some translations even talk about mansions and you know, some translations talk about rooms. And listen, I believe, I mean, Scripture gives us an imagery of what heaven's going to be like. But as I read this and you, you look at the Greek, there's also something more happening here. And it gives us an understanding, and it's this. Heaven is more than accommodations. It's more than a mansion. It's more than rooms. It's His presence. He's going to prepare, prepare a place for for us and the presence of the Father. I, listen, if you're not living with, an, with, with eternity in view, they may not speak a whole lot to you, but listen, 
there's going to be two things that happen. Either they're going to put me six feet under, or I'm going to be one of the, those that remain and hear the trump of God. But either way, I can take heart and have peace and know that I've got a place next to the Father. Because Jesus has been making intercession for me, saying, Oh, Father, wait till Todd gets up here. It's not going to be like in junior high, where my first day of class, they had a special chair at the very front of the class by myself facing the chalkboard. I had a special place. I did. My first, I walked into junior high school, and I walked in, in almost every class. I walk in, and the teacher said, oh, you're Todd Starnes. Here's your place. And she had dragged the chair up away from everybody. She said, we heard about you. And I had my special place. Y'all may not believe that's Well, anyway. But we're going to have our place. The place that Jesus was preparing has less to do than location and everything to do with his presence. And just so you know, right now you have a place with him. Amen. The Bible says, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High and abide in the shadow of the Almighty. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. For he will hide me in his shelter. Psalm 27, 5. He will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon the rock. For if you have been, Isaiah 25, 4. If you don't know, this is kind of a church mission theme verse for us. For you have been a stronghold to the poor, a stronghold to the needy in his distress, a shelter from the storm, a shade in the heat. You have a place with him. And the third thing is this, is that what's important about his ascension, it's his return. The rapture of the church, his return, the resurrection of those who have fallen asleep in Christ, and we're going to be translated together with those who are alive. The scripture tells us in 1 Corinthians 4, 16, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with... And did you notice when Paul is writing this to the church of uh, Thessalonians that, that he didn't say that you're always going to be in heaven? Where did he say that we're going to be? He said that we will always be with the Lord. And then what happens is the millennial reign of Christ. And that's when, back in that first century, when the Jewish people thought the Messiah was coming to deliver them from the Romans, it's actually fulfilled in the millennial reign of Christ as part of his second coming. We read in Revelations 19, 11, this is after the tribulation. Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and the righteousness that he judges makes war. 
His eyes are like flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and his name is written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood by a name which is called is the Word of God, and the armies of heaven arrayed on finding the white horses and pure were following him on white horses. What an imagery of what's going to happen on that day to culminate his second coming, the start of his reign upon earth. What a moment. And you know what? We're going to get front row seats to all of it. For all of it. I want you to stand with me this morning. Wow. Thank you so much for joining us. It's such an honor that you would listen to our podcast. I hope and pray that you are ministered to in a very special way. Don't forget, this goes out on several different platforms. It goes out Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Podbean. If you would like share help us get the word out if you want more information about us just go to odessafirst.com or any of the social media platforms god bless you